How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today, we are welcoming the incredible Carrie Haskins today. Uh, you would recognize Carrie as the iconic, uh, her iconic portrayal of Sonya Blade from the Mortal Kombat video game franchise, notably Mortal Kombat 3 and 4. She's also an accomplished artist and uh, practitioner of the martial art, Tang Su Du. And one of those guests, when I started this, this podcast at the start of the pandemic, was what video games growing up did I always play that I always loved their characters? And obviously, I love the Johnny Cage, I love the Scorpion Sub-Zero, but it was always Sonya Blaze, a character. I just love that she, this badass female in a male-dominated world video game, um, that she just kicked ass and she always took charge. And obviously, my favorite game growing up was Mortal Kombat 3, and then here you are your amazing portrayal of Sonya in that video game. So again, welcome uh, to have you here, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me, John. Now, I, I kind of just want to jump into it because I'm super blown away that you're here. When it comes to the legacy of Mortal Kombat, um, and obviously you're a big part of that, especially uh, in terms of pop culture and the franchise, the video game uh, world. When did you realize that what you were becoming a part of, what you're dedicating part of your life to was to be, become this huge mega global brand. Um, I had an inkling back when I went on tour after I'd finished the game and then it turned into a, a pic, a motion picture film. And then it went, we went on tour for it. That's when I started thinking, Oh, this is pretty big, <laughs> you know, and all these little kids wanting my autograph and, and now, you know, here we are 26 years later, and now it's just kind of dawning on me as I put the costume back on and I'm just just overwhelmed with all the love and encouragement and stuff for me to keep on going from my fans who were like in their teens then and, you know, now they're in their 30s and 40s and, and they've gotten their kids into it. And it's just like, it's just like this amazing thing that keeps on going on and on and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Now, how does a tryout like that happen? Um, maybe this is a two-part question because I do want to know what the actual filming process is like when it goes to the live action to the video game. But for you to even get to that point, is there a casting call? Like, how did you even become a part of this world? That's on you. Well, I was actually modeling for Playboy and doing a lot of uh, production work for them. So I was doing the nine to five thing, taking the train downtown and working for Playboy nine to five. And um, I happened to be in the production office one day, you know, editing photos and whatnot. And um, Jack Hagar had called me or he called the office looking for a couple models for this video game called NBA Jam. Have you heard of that? Yes. From Midway <laughs> Games as well, correct? Yeah. And yeah. so that he wanted a couple cheerleaders. So I had brought another model with me and we we did that gig together for NBA Jam and and then that led into Revolution X. They kept on hiring yep. me because they realized that I had um, some some stunt background and gymnastics and a little bit of martial arts and um, boxing and wrestling. So um, 
I knew it all fall and I knew how to um, do some stunts that they needed for their games. So um, for MK3, they were looking for a new Sonya because of, you know, all the legal problems they had with the, the original cast or a few of them. Um, so they were looking for a new Sonya and at that time I was a perfect match. So there wasn't really a casting call for me. Um, I kind of did my auditions for the, in the games that, you know, I had previously um, acted for. Now, were you familiar with the game itself before you auditioned or is this something where you're kind of like, oh, well, yeah, sure. I'll try it. It sounds cool. Um, I did not, I'm not a gamer and um, I've been asked so many times over the years, you know, what, what the code is for this and, and, and fans wanting to actually play from play with me or now, you know, there's the streaming where they, they want me to stream and, and I'm like, I am not a gamer and never have been, <laughs> never had the patience. Um, but I had a lot of fun acting for them and, and actually doing the stunts and stuff for video games. So that was more my thing, you know, dressing up and, and getting into the games. And then oh, I yes. love, I love watching people play them. I love it. But as, as far as me playing them, I, I cannot do it. So I didn't really know what Mortal Kombat was. I just thought it was just another video game. I didn't know that it had grown to be such a big entity. You, uh, on your Instagram page, you usually recently posted a video of Ed Boo and John Tobias kind of do like the behind the scenes of the first game, uh, which I guess yeah. is approaching 30 years now. Um, right. It, it was really cool seeing uh, Scorpion, like them talk through the, the play process. So when yeah, you get to see the whole role, creative process and how, you know, that get over here and, and Ed asking, you know, don't ninjas have like some sort of rope <laughs> and them kind of playing off of that. And then, you know, them saying, okay, let's pull them back, you know, and they're in the time in the whole time they're thinking about what would look good in a video game. What can I program in? And then, and then, you know, making these characters come to life and having these different moves. So I just, I love stuff like that. And I love it when Ed posts stuff like that so I can share it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I love everyone there with uh, the game. And so obviously the first two games came out with, with a different Sonya Blade. You kind of take over and really make Sonya Blade bigger than life. Right. Actually, Is, in MK2, they didn't have Sonya. Right, um, she wasn't in there. They brought Stryker in, I yeah, believe. They, I think they thought maybe she wasn't strong enough character or whatever. Um, but I think the fans really liked her and were, you know, were calling for her back. So in MK3, they wanted to bring her back. When, so from that, from the, the, the creativeness between the, the first side of Blade to when you took over the role, what did they kind of give you like the, hey, this is what these the people that play this game are used to, her movements, her actions. But once they kind of realized that you really are something special here for this character, did you kind of get more leeway in terms of, hey, maybe I blow the kiss this way, or maybe I do this, or I move my body this way? Like, how much control did you eventually get over your character when it came to what Ed or John said? That's so, that's what's so great about Mortal Kombat in the very beginning stages and, and about us all developing the characters and stuff. Um, John and John and Ed had everything written down and they had pictures and they had an idea of what they wanted their character to be. But as far as our, our moves and stuff, we were doing all that against a green screen and it was more or less like, okay, what else can you do? You know, and then they would get inspired by what, what else we could do. Um, like my favorite one is, um, when we are waiting for in between shots and they still had the camera running. 
So I was just sitting there waiting for the next shot. And then I started doing some goofy stuff like, you know, this, like just, just being a goofball because that's what I like to do. I'm like, I'm always goofing around playing jokes and whatnot. And, um, and they had filmed me and I didn't even know it. And then they used that as my friendship move. So when I did actually see it in the move, I was in the, uh, in the game, I was actually laughing because they were like, okay, <laughs> that little move there was made into my friendship move. So there was just a lot of things like, you know, what the actor could do and then them looking at it and saying, okay, let's make this move out of that. Now, obviously you film each your moves is like the character set moves, the only other specific finishers, punches, whatever it is. But when it comes to the actual fighting, like between say you and Kato or you and Nightwolf, whoever it is, are you, do you rehearse a scene with that against that actor's character? Or is this one of the things where they just program you as the individual and then as the game goes along, they just kind of the computer stuff? It was mostly individual. Once in a while, they would have a couple actors in the studio. Like, I think the one actor that I worked the most with was Sal DeVita because he actually worked for Midway Valley too. Um, so he, Sal actually played a lot of, a lot of characters, you know, because they were like, Hey, Sal, come here, you know, stop yeah. working for a minute and, and do this. So he was, <laughs> he was a lot of characters cause he was always in the office. Um, but once in a while, like if I needed to punch at a certain height or kick at a certain height like that, they would have somebody stand there. Or if I needed to like grab a neck, you know, I had a neck to grab, you know, cause they would have somebody standing there so I could perform. One of the, obviously with the pandemic, everything kind of shut down with conventions and stuff like that, but it's been really cool. Some of you behind the scenes stuff where you've been at conventions where you just po took a picture with Keith Cook, uh, who's been on this podcast three times. Um, it, it, specifically the Mortal Kombat fandom, it's really cool that someone like Keith or Chris Casamasa or Marjean Holden or these people have been on the podcast, they know who played who, what character. They know it doesn't matter what, if it's a comic book or a TV show or a video game. And I find it, it's very cool that the people that worked on this game, uh, namely the actors that took, brought these characters to life for all of us, they really do care about the brand and they care that the right people are doing the right things. It, it, it's that Your picture you posted with Keith was just awesome. Yeah, Keith is a great guy. And that was actually the first time I got to meet him. So um, we had a good time at that at that uh, convention. And, you know, I didn't even really start doing conventions. I did the conventions when the actual games came out to help promote them as they were coming out. But then, you know, I took like 25 years off. You know, I put the costume away. I didn't take it out and I didn't do any conventions. I didn't do any appearances. I was raising babies and I had my two special needs boys. So, you know, I totally was off the grid for 25 years. And um, coming back, it's just like everything stood still in time. And, and, and here I am, you know, just as popular as I was back then, if not even more popular with social media now. So it's just blown my mind and I've had so much fun with it. Um, I just um, signed a contract to do Cleveland Gaming. Um, that's another convention that's coming up on November 13th. And that actually benefits UCP, United Cerebral Palsy. And I was like, this one is so close to my heart and I'm so excited to do it. And, you know, that's what I want to do in the future. I want to, I want to be more, you know, into the, into the foundations and, and helping people, you know, especially people like my sons, Luke and Zach. Right. I was going to ask you, uh, when you did put that costume on the first time, were you kind of like, what the hell am I doing? Or it's like, man, this is, it feels like home. <laughs> 
well, yeah, at first it was, what the hell am I doing? There's no way I'm putting that costume on. I haven't even tried it on in 25 years. And here I have my, my two girlfriends, Evelina and Amber, and they're like, put it on, put it on, you know, get, get a photographer. And, you know, I, I had talked to Thomas Dodgett, who was a friend of mine who said, yeah, I'll shoot it. And so we had this day set up where we were going to do this Sonia Blade shoot. And I went into the bathroom and I changed into it. And my girlfriend, Amber, was waiting for me outside and I put it on. And then the last thing, of course, was the headband. And I put it on and and it was like this wave of um, adrenaline that went through me. And I started, you know, living, reliving my glory days. And it felt so empowering to me. And then I walked out out of the bathroom. And my girlfriend just goes, oh, my God, and she starts clapping. And I felt kind of stupid, but yet I felt so empowered because that costume has done so much for me in my lifetime. And it's going to start crying in a second. <laughs> it's really helped me through my boys and staying strong, yep. um, almost going through living through deaths from them, you know, with them having their medical problems and stuff. So Sonia Blaine has always been a part of me. And um, I'm just really grateful for all the fans keeping me strong over the years and, and helping me through it. It's just, it's been amazing. And right. I will ever, ever be in debt to the Mortal Kombat. And, and it's franchise. really cool. Like I said before, the fact that this character is so strong, is a leader, is whatever. And kids that are playing this game, specifically girls, uh, they're like, man, this is a character in a very male-dominated uh, genre of fighting games. And even this game itself uh here is a pure american girl kicking ass and it's it is really cool that the part the in terms of part pop culture for me when it comes to female video game characters Sonya blade is one of the, the just an american american is apple pie for me and it's really cool that here you are today kind of talking about that and your sense of pride is never really wavering i think that's really reassuring to fans specifically kids now who were kids now or now have kids of their own they're like hey i grew up with this type of role model maybe you could follow someone like this. That's really cool. Right. Yeah. And when the game was first coming out and they were getting so much slack, you know, with it being a violent game and um, my, I always stood strong on that. I was like, what is, what does martial arts do? You know, what does that do for a person? It empowers them. It teaches them self-discipline. It teaches them respect for others. I mean, you can't, I don't think you can get into a better sport that teaches you so much on the inside compared to what you do on the outside. And it's, it's a lot of, um, you know, self-control, you know, I'm not going to fight this person unless I absolutely have to, because I'm going to keep control of myself. And so that's what I always stood on. It was like, this may be a, a violent game. You know, you can't actually rip spines out of people. You know that, right, mom, right, dad. <laughs> um, but it, it just, it turned into this amazing thing. And it did so many amazing things for kids, especially teenagers. I would have, you know, girls sending me letters at the time when I actually got letters in the mail. Um, there was one girl who was fighting her sexuality inside and she was only a teenager and she didn't know what was happening. She was just, she was thinking she was going to kill herself. Um, um, and, you know, she lived in the South, so it wasn't, I mean, it's one of the last places that actually embraced, right? you know, right. The, the LGBT community, um, probably got those acronym wrong, but um, I, I always was very grateful for my fans and, and was just so proud when they were inspired by something and, and keeping them strong and, and 
getting through a moment and like, you know, that's what video games do for a lot of people. It's just an escape. Right. And, um, you know, whatever you're going to do with it is, it can be a good thing if you use it, you know. Now, would you take this, the show on the road per se, obviously you're Sonja Blade, but who's creating the story? Is this still John and Ed to kind of put this together, to kind of promote the game? Or how does this kind of, like you go into a city, I assume you set up the, the set like you would at a concert or whatever, and you got to perform for the crowd. But again, in terms of the creativeness of there, are you having to plan out the, the, the choreography and the fight scenes and stuff like that? Like how big of a production was this? Because I, I never got to see it. I'm really bummed about that. Um, I did actually finally get my hands on a copy of the whole tour. Oh, and wow. it was one that my stepmom had filmed. So, I mean, the you're talking, you hear people eating, and the, the film is shaky, but it's like, I think it might be the only copy there is of the actual whole thing all the way through. So it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it was actually a huge production. There was a director, there was a producer. Um, we were on a tour bus. We went from city to city and we promoted it before we got there. Um, we did radio shows, we did TV shows, we did paper, we did, we did print. Um, we did a lot in John and Ed were always involved in something, you know, they always got their hands on anything that has to do with Mortal Kombat. You can, you can be sure that John and Ed still have their, their hands into it. Now, before you jumped into the character, you mentioned you did wrestling and martial arts, but something as specific as Tang Soo Do, which for those people who watch this podcast know I've had guests on here before to talk about that. It's a Korean martial art. But what made you choose that martial art specifically? Was it the character you were going to portray or was this something that you kind of just found along the way that kind of helped you for those years you did it? I don't know. It was just, I mean, I tried kickboxing and, and um, for me, it was more, it was more of a martial art thing to do. I just, I just liked it. It just clicked with me. I'm not sure why it might've been, you know, the only teaching studio that I had available to me at the time. It was so long ago, um, but I loved it and I just stuck with it. Love that. Now, how active are you still today when it comes to the martial arts or fitness? Or is this is this something where like, how do you blur the line between Sonya Blade and you and you as a is you as Carrie Haskins? Like is there a is there any similarities, differences between the characters, or you once you kind of you guys settle in the middle there and you kind of split personality? Well, I can do a split in personality anyway. I could be Carrie Hoskins or I can be Sonya Blade <laughs> and I could switch back and forth. But um, I think there there is a little bit of a middle ground where I'm a little bit of both on each side. Um, it's it's easy for me to switch because I've known her for so long. <laughs> I love that. Do your kids, uh, obviously they're aware of what you've done or what you do with the character, but how have that impacted their lives knowing that their mom is helping other kids or helping people kids grow up with having issues that they know that their mom actually is a real life superhero or a character that yeah it's a video game here but real life she's the same person um well growing up i think they were at first they were kind of like really proud and then they went through their teenage years where they were kind yeah. of embarrassed um, and now, of course, they're they're very proud. My daughter Leah, um, she gets called Cassie Cage all the time because Sonia had a daughter, and um, we look very similar. And she actually does look very similar to Cassie Cage, so that's kind of ironic. And my son Sam, he's 21 now. He's he just smiles. You know, his friends ask him about me, and 
and he's just, he's very proud, and, but he's very quiet about it. And then my boys, Luke and Zach, um, their mentality is between like a three and five-year-old. Right. So it's hard for them to kind of fathom that mom's a, a character <laughs> also. Before I jump into your family, because you have a, you, I, and I will, I will talk about that, but the interesting thing about you though, like doing research on you is the fact that you, at the age of over what, 42, you actually started doing like realism art, uh, yeah. and this other type of artwork. And I thought it very fascinating because you weren't doing this really before that, correct? And so Not at was, all. This, was this something that was suppressed because you grew up in a house of painters and singers and artists, or was this another outlet maybe for you to kind of branch off and be another version of you? Well, my grandfather was a painter and he was very, very talented and he had many talents. We always called him the jack of all trade. And my mother was like that also. And she didn't paint either. Um, you know, we did a lot of crafty stuff, but we didn't actually sit down in front of a canvas and, and paint, you know, these these beautiful portraits or, or paintings or abstract or whatever we're doing now. Um, the only reason I started painting is because I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos, which is a connective tissue disorder. And at the time I was a personal trainer and I was training other people to run marathons. So I was running a lot of miles during the day and, and they were slow miles. It wasn't like I was, you know, going all out there every day, but I was getting injured over and over and my doctor couldn't figure it out. And I started researching and then I met somebody with Ehlers-Danlos and our lives just mirrored each other. So I went to my doctor and asked him about it. And um, he did some research and he says, you know what, I really think you do have this. So then I went and saw a specialist, a geneticist. And within you know, 10 minutes of me walking into his office, he said, yeah, you have it. And the worst thing that you could be doing is marathoning. <laughs> so I had to give it up. Um, it was either you know, preserve my body and what I have left and, and and move on and do something else that's not so, you know, high endurance or, you know, I, I, I always have to keep healthy because I have my boys. So it was just no choice. I had to give it up. So I had to think of something else to do. And for me, it was like, you know, and at the time, my husband was my friend. My husband now was my, just my friend. And he says, what would you do if you just dropped everything and didn't do anything and just had to pick up one thing? What would it do? And without even thinking, I said, well, I, I think I would open up a little art studio and start painting. And, and then when, when I said it, I was like, why did I just say that? I didn't even, <laughs> I don't even paint. <laughs> and he's like, you should do it, do it. So I bought some canvas and some paint and I started painting and the stuff that was coming out of me, I couldn't even believe it was like a little boy sitting at a piano who just knows how to play. Right. And it's like, I knew, I looked at the colors. I knew how to pick some, pick, you know, mix them to get the color that I wanted. And it was just all this amazing stuff. I painted a little bit in high school, but it wasn't anything like I was doing now. And I mean, I was just like, this is, this is literally a gift from God. I can't explain it because you don't just sit down and you start painting. And right. I was painting these, these realistic paintings that look like photographs. And I just thought, oh my gosh, if my, if my grandfather could be here now and see me, he'd be like, what the hell's going on? You know, I never went to school for it, anything. And then my mom was like, will you give me some lessons? And I said, mom, I don't even know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just painting. So she started painting 
and she started painting these amazing portraits and and selling her work too so she's down in Colombia now doing mission work and you know she's painting and and that's what I do full-time now too besides the Mortal Kombat stuff that's kind of taking over but right. um it it was all just kind of a fluke miracle it's crazy there that here you are your character again now this is the painter your mom is doing helping people and in South America, it's like it's crazy how everything part of your life is always branching off and helping others. It's it's really cool. Oh, it's so important. You know, it's about it's about unconditional love for everybody. Everybody's the same in this world, and if somebody's struggling and you have the tools to help them, you should. You know, oh, if you the tools and the time. Not not like you should spread your yourself out so thin that you don't have enough time for yourself and your family. But whatever you can do, you know, reach out and help somebody if they need it. Right. It's just it's a no-brainer for me. Now, the phrase liquid metals, some of the, you go on your website, Carrie Gallery, and you see all this artwork and the liquid metal idea. Can you kind of explain that to someone who might not know what exactly we are talking about? Okay, so I have this weird right brain, left brain thing. Um, I like to put science into my paintings because one of my loves is science and chemistry. And I was just playing around with these, these paints that you could paint a statue and then you put the chemical over it and it rusts. So iron turns to rust and, and copper vertigrees and bronze vertigrees. And I was like, I wonder if I could just like put this on canvas and do the same thing. So I started experimenting and, and started making up this liquid metal stuff. And um, it's actually ground, ground iron in an acrylic base. So I paint it on. And then I add my my um, chemicals to make it do whatever I want. And if I use different variables like heat, um, light, darkness, um, keeping it, you know, without oxygen, I get different colors. So I've just I've just kind of like perfected it over the years and made them into paintings. Is it awkward for you when you when you do the conventions and somebody hands you a picture they drew or painted of you in character? Is that something where you're kind of like I mean, it must be full circle too, because here you are, someone else doing art uh, of you. Um, but when you get those gifts and stuff like that, obviously it hits home to you that this you impacted this person's life. But a gift like that is does that do you bring that? Do you keep that type of stuff? Like, do you hold yes. on to these paintings I, and all that? Yeah, if I was to give you a little tour of my studio right now, you'd see stuff that I've hung up from my fans who have drawn me, or if you go on my Instagram. You can see I have um, a highlight of, of fan artwork because anybody that draws me or, or, or does something like that, it just grabs me by the heart. And um, I'm so grateful for that and because I know the time that it takes and I know I know the care that they must have towards me or, you know, admiring me or whatever to, enough to want to draw me. So it just it it means a lot to me. <laughs> The uh, the last couple of years kind of showed me that we are living in a time now where people are very, there's some really mean people out there. There's no one that shows empathy anymore, no one that shows love, no one that cares. And a lot of times I found in some of the family members or friends or coworkers that there's a lot of toxic people out there because they're always complaining their life is tough or, oh, COVID this or I can't go to the amusement park now or I can't go to the bar for this six weeks or whatever. And while I do understand people's 
they, that their lives change for the better. I also understand there's people like you um, and there's people out there that are worse off than you when it comes to dealing with kids, like your case, two twins with cerebral palsy. And I've always just in see your social media, how you present yourself. You've always been someone that's very, you have this really cool aura about yourself where you take each day, each day to the fullest, but you take the time to show love, show empathy. And I think it's so important that people realize that you can still do the life, live the life you want to live, and you can still have time and show compassion for these people that can't live your life. And I think that's really important that you are first and foremost a a, a mother, a wife, a, a friend, and a and you're just this really cool person. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, COVID, COVID was a huge, huge change that we all had to adapt to, and that's what's so great about humans. We're we are able to adapt to things. And there are people that mentally do not have the capacity to adapt to things. So we do need to help them and, and help them get through this really hard time. Um, like my sons, they weren't able to go to school anymore. I pulled them out before, you know, the schools even shut right. down because I got scared, you know, they're, they're at risk. So I didn't want them to get this, this horrible, you know, virus. So I brought them home and I thought, what the heck am I going to do with them all day? You know, at school, it's all, you know, regimented and we're doing this at this hour and we're doing this and this. And it actually ended up saving my son's life because he was on the verge of um, getting down so low in his weight and having this, this, he has ailers on top of his cerebral palsy and he also had gastroparesis. So I was feeding him 4,000 calories a day, trying to figure out what was wrong with him. And he was still losing six pounds a month. Um, he got down to 95 pounds and he's five foot 11. So for us, it was a blessing. I was able to keep him home and try to figure out what was going on with him and speak to 13 different doctors across the country, try to figure out what was going on with him. And, and we, we actually finally figured it out and we're, we were able to save his life. And now he's thriving. He's hundred, almost 130 pounds now weighs more than me. <laughs> I love that. Now you mentioned the upcoming convention, you do the, uh, they're given charity work with the cerebral palsy organization. Are there other, what other groups out there out there for cerebral palsy and organizations that people can reach out to, um, to kind of either donate or just kind of research about the actual disease itself? Well, I think it depends on what city you're in. You can always, you can always Google like your local. I mean, I think UCP has different branches in every state and maybe even regional. So you can always just Google it and see what you have around you. I love that. I think it is very important that every guest I've had on the show, this year, well over a hundred, close to a hundred when this airs, um, every guest, when the matter what the background always has this idea, this notion to serve more than yourself. And whether it's philanthropy or donating time and stuff, it's really cool to see you kind of follow the footsteps of every other guest so far that, yes, you are Sonja Blade, you're an accomplished artist, but you're also a really cool person that gives back to others who are less fortunate than you. And so thank you for that. Thank you. Now, because before I let you go here, I know you're on Instagram, Facebook, all the social media stuff, but if people want to follow you out, uh, where can they find you? What handles? Um, if they want to check out your artwork, where can they do that? I've tried to keep it pretty easy when it comes to that, because I'm on almost every social media handle. All my handles are at Carrie Ann Gallery. And even my website is carryon.gallery. So awesome. 
<laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Carrie, for this. Uh, this was awesome. Great to uh, finally talk to you and uh, stay thank safe. You and, uh, wish you all the success moving forward. All right. And you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for everybody for watching. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.